Uh, good morning, everybody. Come on, let's try it again to hear a little energy. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Glad you're here with me today. And uh, let's do this. I know some of you are alone, so this will feel a little awkward. But if you're here by family, I want you to turn and look at them and say, I am so glad you're in my life. And then give them a hug and a kiss. All right, come on, just do it. Even if you don't feel like it, just do it. And if you're alone, you see somebody good looking, give it a whirl. See what happens. One of the uh, <clears throat> one of the writers uh, of the wisdom book, the book of Proverbs in Scripture, uh, says something interesting. I was looking at this in the last few weeks and, and thinking about it. This is a scripture found in Proverbs chapter thirty. It says, four things on earth are small, yet they're extremely wise." Ants, he mentions, he starts with them, are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Now, he goes on after that to mention the other three things, and I'm not going to go there, but I just found this one fascinating. This idea that ants, which in comparison to us are tiny and weak and and they don't have much going for them, but the author writes that ants, these small creatures, are wise. They're wise. And then he goes on to tell us why. Because they understand the power of rightly investing. They don't have to have someone tell them, now you need to store up food for the winter. It's coming and you need to store this up. They already do that. They don't have to go to Dave Ramsey conferences and learn how to manage their money or manage your food or whatever it would be for an ant. They don't have to do that stuff. He says they know that. They know about rightly investing already. And so he says, even though they're small, even though they they seem tiny in comparison, they're wise. Wise. I bet, like me, most of you have noticed that the people who are around us who appear to have, for the most part, done well financially, who have been fairly successful materially and didn't get it because they won the lottery or inherited from you know, rich parents or whatever, they're almost, to a person, wise investors. Now, they do it in different ways. They invest all different kinds of ways, but they're wise in what they do with the resources that they have. They're actually not just consuming them. They're not just using them going, oh, this is cool, let's buy this and this and this and and getting that and and pulling it all in around themselves. They're actually thinking out ahead, sometimes way out ahead. And that's why they've done well. Because they're wise in terms of their investing. They understand this simple principle that when you invest your sowing, and whatever you sow, you're going to, can anybody tell me? You're going to reap it. And this, of course, is what the scripture teaches. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, what he sows. Whatever you invest, you're going to see that come back. Now, not every seed necessarily is going to produce, but the aggregate, the overall aggregate will be that you will have increase in your life. If you invest rightly. And that, when you do that, it shows wisdom. Now, obviously, this isn't just talking about when the writer writes that about the end. It's not just talking about money or material things. It's talking about everything. I mean, everything in our lives, the stuff that we have, what we do with it, how we invest it. If we do it rightly, it shows wisdom. And, and you see that in life. You, you know this. 
I mean, you know, for example, you, you exercise, you take exercise seriously and you do it with great consistency. You do it with energy and you do it consistently and you will, you will reap the benefits. You will get, you know, healthier, you'll get stronger, whatever. I mean, the guy who leads worship here at the Hastings campus, you know, our, our, our campus uh, worship leader here, Brian Moat. I mean, this guy, I know him and have talked to him and I know that he has a very, very focused a weightlifting uh, regimen, and I mean, he works really, really hard at it. And it's obvious when you look at him. I mean, the guy's got muscles on top of muscles. Of course, that he wears T-shirts made for four-year-olds uh, helps <laughs> you to know. <laughs> now, this, this, this idea of investing impacts every area of our lives. You sow bad seed, and you're going to reap some kind of dark harvest. I mean, it's just a given. Let's just be honest. There's some of us who are sitting in this room or watching online or at one of our other campuses. And you're crawling up out of a very painful, difficult place in your life. And if you were brutally honest about this, you would have to admit you didn't just fall into this hole. You sowed your way into it. You invested into it. Stuff that you did, behaviors that you've enacted over last years, whatever, brought you to this place. And this is just true for all of us. If you were to go on in the scripture where we read in Galatians, where it says a man reaps what he sows, it continues on and says this. It says, whoever sows to please their flesh, their, their basic desire, I, w- I want, give me, give me, give me, just to, kind of in a selfish way, that person from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap Eternal life, mostly, it's not always, always the case, but mostly, you're going to get what you've invested in. Now, I know there are some exceptions to this, and some of you will take exception to me saying this. But I think the truth about most of us is, you're right where you've put yourself whatever circumstances you're in, whatever's happening in your life, for the most part, I understand there are things that happen in life that we have no control over and, 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 and we have to then process and deal with them and, and work our way through them. But for the most part, where you are right now, so many of your actions and behaviors were investments that brought you right here. And you can blame other people and you can blame circumstances and you can talk about, but the truth is, I know there are some exceptions, but the truth is, for the most part, you are reaping from your investments. And if that's true, and I really believe it is, I know some people will argue, oh, you know, I've had all these extenuating, and I understand that, but even those things, how you responded to them, how you reacted, how you deal with the difficult thing that comes in your life you have no choice over, that is the result of choices you have made in the past. You have invested your way to where you are right now, for the most part. Based on that, I think really the grand question we should be asking is what does my investment portfolio look like and what if i've been investing in things that matter is am i going in the right direction and again remember we're not just talking about money here we're talking about your time and your talent and your words and your actions and your love your behaviors all these things because here's the deal i know some of you right now are going well i'm only 14 years old and i'm not investing yet yes you are 
See, here's the truth, and I want you to get this. You're always investing. The question is not, are you investing? The question is, are you investing rightly? Maybe it would help you if I described investing, definition of investing like this. Investing is whatever you're doing with your current resources. So whether it's your physical resources, your finances, or your, your stuff, it may be your emotional or your mental or your physical resources, you know, what you do with your time, your talent, all those things. Whatever you're doing with those these days, listen, listen, this is really important to get. That's investing. You're not just hanging out somewhere. You're not just doing something. You're not just trying to get through this, you know, if I can just get through school and then I can, then my life can start. Whatever you're doing with whatever you have right now, you are investing. And the question is, are you investing in stuff that really matters, that you want to reap a harvest from, that are really important, that are like greatest thing kind of investments? Are you doing that with your time and your talent and your money and your energies and all that? Jesus speaks to this pretty powerfully at one point in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Jesus isn't saying, when he says this, he's not saying you can't save money. You can't put money in your 403B or 401K or whatever it is you're saving into. He's not saying you can't do that. What he's saying is, you make sure that you are investing wisely in the stuff that matters. In the stuff that lasts, listen, in the greatest thing. And that's what this series has been about. I'm, I'm in week five now. We've been, I've just been kind of hammering along on this because this is my contention that the greatest thing that ever is, ever was, ever will be is the love of God. It is God's love. It is the single greatest thing. Now, I know I've been pounding on this, and some of you are going to feel like, oh, I've heard it, you know, this is number five. But here we go again, number five. Let me just say it to you one more time. There is nothing that you will ever experience in your life, no vacation, no cool thing, no relationship, no purchase, no new acquisition, no relationship, nothing will ever matter at the level that experiencing and walking in the love of God will. The Bible says that three things remain, faith, hope, and can anybody tell me? Love. And the greatest of these is is love. It is the greatest thing. And here's why God's love is the greatest thing. It's because God's love always wins. And I know I've been talking about this from the start of the series, but it's like Jesus rose from the dead. He proved this simple thing. God's love in hard times, in terrible times, in good times, in life, and even in death, it wins. God's love always wins. In fact, this has kind of become a mantra, so I'd like you to say it with me, and I want to hear everybody that's willing to. I know some of you would never do anything I ask you to do, and that's fine, but for those of you who will, let's say this together in unison. God's love always wins. It always wins. 
And I know some of you lately have been just, you know, you've been like, I can't win. I just can't win. It's like my life just is so difficult these days. Yes, you can. And it may not look like it in the moment. It may not be easy and it may be a difficult season. But life or death, hard times or good times, God's love, say it with me, always wins. It always wins. And so that makes the big rock question that we should be asking on a regular basis. If this is the greatest thing, am I investing in it? Now, maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you say, I don't think that's the greatest thing. Okay, you know, I understand that. But based on this contention that three things remain and the greatest of these is love. It is the greatest thing. Are you investing in God's love? Are you giving yourself over to that thing? And in this series, this is all this has been about, really. And we've talked about how you invest that God kind of love in your relationship with your husband or your wife, your significant other. We've talked about how it looks with our families, how it looks with, with uh, people that we work with, people that we go to school with. And I want to add another one today that seems almost impossible. This is like a challenge that feels like almost overwhelming. Because here's how it works with God's love. We've talked about this. The greatest thing that, that ever is, ever was, is God's love to us and then, help me, through us. God reaches down and puts his arms around us and says, I will love you with an everlasting love. Now, he whispers in our ear, you go love others as I have loved you. That's been my contention from the start. So we're to love our husbands or wives like he has loved us. We're to love people at work, in our family, at school, wherever we're at. We're to love them as he's loved us. Now let's look at a verse which shows something interesting, which makes this feel a little overwhelming. This is John 3.16. Many of you are familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, many of us have focused and talked. I actually used this verse last weekend, and so I'm using it again, but I'm focusing on something different. I just want to look at the first part of this. It says... For God so loved the what? The world. Now remember, this is what Jesus says, a new command I give you, you are to love one another as I've loved you. You are to love like I love. So here's the question. How the heck do you love the world? The world's hard for me to even fathom. How can I love billions of of people. How can I love people that I know that I will never meet in this lifetime, at the very least? I will never meet them. I'll never spend any time with them. I walk by people all the time just like you do. I don't know them. I don't talk to them. How can I love the world? It seems, it feels like a virtual impossibility. But I think this comes back to something that, that maybe is more simple than we imagine. Now, I can't touch and impact the life of every single person on planet Earth. I can't love and fix the problems of every person in the world. But here's what I can do. I can live in a way that touches the world, that helps the world become a better place. I can actually live in a way by how I live my daily life with my focus in a way that helps the world become a little bit better. Now listen, because this is very important for you to understand. And that is how you love the world. Because the impact is bigger 
than you think. Many of you have heard of the expression, the butterfly effect. This was actually coined by a guy whose name was Edward Lorenz. And uh, this is a phrase that he coined when he discovered that in some ways, and I'm going to give you like this super simplified version of this. He discovered that there's a link between so many things in life. For example, he said there could be a tornado in one place that actually has been influenced by the flap of a butterfly's wings in a far distant place weeks before that. And of course, it sounds ludicrous when you hear it. How can a butterfly's wings flapping influence the weather pattern that creates a tornado in a, in a place down the road in another time and everything? How can that even happen? But actually, this has been validated over and over and over again. It is the enormous power of the influence that each thing has in the physical world and that each of us has in the world that we are in. And that's really, it's it's crazy as it sounds, that's really how it works, which basically means what I do, little me, out here in Podunk Holler, West Michigan, actually can influence the larger context of the world. Not only can I, but I do. I influence the world. Never forget that what we're talking about here, when I flap my wings, nothing seems to happen in that moment. But we're talking about investing. And so that goes out and that little breeze moves on and it impacts something else, which impacts something else, which creates something altogether. For example, let me just give you an example of this. It seems so crazy because it just doesn't seem like it really works that way. Let me talk to parents, okay? You come home, you've had a really rotten day, you're half angry, and then two and a half of your three kids do something stupid. Let's just make it a full three, all right? Because you know they were. And you blow up. You don't hit them, but you blow up at them. And you yell at them. And you say things to them that you really probably know you should not have said. And some of the remarks are cruel and cutting, but you're angry and you're frustrated and they're acting stupid and they should know better. And I've talked to you a thousand times about this and you'll never change. Why do you do this? No big deal, right? I mean, you do it and it's like, I I shouldn't have done that probably. But kids are so resilient. Have you noticed that? Kids are amazingly resilient. I mean, maybe one of them gets a little tear in his eye or something, or, or one of them looks a little sad or down, but 15 minutes later, they're off playing and acting like nothing ever happened. Well, I guess it's just not that big a deal, right? Right? Some of you have heard me talk about my relationship with my own father, whom I want to clarify I loved and had enormous respect for in so many ways. My, my dad was an angry person. He was very angry. And when I was young, he, he, just, he just had so much anger, and so much of it came out at home. Now, I, I realized as an adult, I kind of figured this out actually after dad died, that he suffered from PTSD. You know, when I was a kid, nobody even had ever heard of those initials. They didn't even know what post-traumatic stress disorder was. You know, it's like nobody talked about that. And my dad never spoke 
of his service in the war, of the action that he saw. We actually heard from uh, his wife some of the things that he opened, because he never told us a word. He never talked about it. He never complained. He, never, he just never said anything about it. But I know he suffered from it. And whatever that did to him, I, I, I don't know, but I know that my dad was angry. And of course, when you're at home, you tend to be a little more relaxed where you wouldn't blow up at work, you'll blow up at home because, you know, it, somehow it seems a little safer there to do the worst things you do, which is insane when you think about it. And so he would come home. And I actually have, I actually have visual images that are in my head. I'll be 62 this summer. And I can still see the look on his face and remember the picture where my dad looks at me at the dinner table and says, you are a pig and you will never amount to anything. You will never accomplish anything with your life. You finish nothing. You don't know how to do it right. And when he said those words, I didn't fall to pieces on the floor. I didn't go to a puddle, you know, in tears or anything. I just heard what he said and went on and put it out of my head and didn't think about it. No big deal. He flapped his wings. Big deal. Except I'm, I'm pretty sure I spent way more years of my life trying to prove that he was wrong than I wanted to. And then my behaviors in reaction to that behavior of his I flap my wings and it touched somebody else's life and touched somebody else's life. And you think this stuff doesn't go on? I don't want to sound dramatic here, but I want you to be very clear on this. This is a fact. You flap your wings. You touch the world. You can't not do this. You cannot not impact the world by the flapping of your wings. And you think it's just a small thing and I, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done it or whatever it is. It's not that big a deal. It is a deal. Because when you flap your wings, you touch the world. It impacts people around you. And that's why investing in this idea of living out God's love, the greatest thing in the world, is so important. Because every flap of your wings counts in some way. This, this is no big deal. This is not, yes, it is. And the question is, are you influencing tornadoes that destruct, destroy things and people and lives? Or are you influencing, you're flapping your wings in such a way that it changes the world for a better place? And I think we should be asking ourselves that question. I think this is why Jesus said to us repeatedly, you love people like I've loved you. Because that wins. Not always in the moment, it's not always easy, but that wins. That's what makes a difference in the world. And the only way that you can love the world is when you love the people that you are around with God's love, even though they annoy you, even though you're working with them and they're such a, you know, jerks or they, they, they hurt you or they, whatever it is, when you love people with that love that God has given you, what it does is you're flapping your wings and you are actually touching the world in a way that makes it a better place. You don't have to travel to distant places. You have to just flap your wings where you are in a way that is wisely investing. And we don't know where some of this stuff will end up. I'm always amazed by it. For good or bad, you flap your wings, you touch the world. I mean, come on. Have, have any of you have ever had this experience? I bet many of you had. Where someone will come back to you and say, 
You know, you said something to me 10 years ago that really hit me and I've never forgotten. You ever had that happen to you? I've never forgotten it. And it touched my life in such a way that I changed how I was doing things. And you're like, tell me again what I said? Come on, you all know what I'm talking about, right? You flapped your wings and to you it was no big deal. You touched the world. Our executive pastor, Joel Strickland, guy that was just up here a few minutes ago, was at a church in South Florida, which is a, it's a, a big, big church and very significant. And the, the pastor is a, you know, he's quite a bit younger than me and he's pretty influential in, in uh, at least in Protestant pastoral circles, if you will. And Joel saw him and, and he was out in the lobby. And so Joel has no fear going up. He's just like, you know, hey, there's somebody that's well-known. I'll just go up and see him. I mean, he has no fear of this. Actually, there are major leaders around the country that have personal protection orders out against Joel Strickland just to (laughs) don't let that guy near me. Well, anyhow, Joel goes up to this guy and he says, uh, introduces himself, tells him his name. He says, you you probably don't know me. He says, but I work with Jeff Arnett. And Joel knew that I knew this guy. I actually had been to this guy's church and and spoken there once. Uh, And the guy looked at him, and I don't remember exactly how Joel said it, and of course it's hearing it from Joel and then me telling you and all that, but the guy, Joel said, the guy, he, he said, he started going, oh yeah, Jeff, and he said he had such an impact, he said he believed in us when we were, because when I was there, the church was very, very small, you know, and, and nothing like it is now, he said he believed in us when nobody else did or something like that, you know, Joel's telling me, he's saying all these things, and I'm listening to Joel going, what? And I actually said to Joel, I think he's full of it. <laughs> Because my interaction with him just didn't seem all that significant. And then Joel looked at me and he said, well, it was funny. It was classic Joel. He said, well, I don't know about that. But he said, the guy sure seemed totally sincere. And I was thinking about it. You flap your wings. You touch the world. And you may never see the tornado you help bring about or the life you help give. But every time you flap your wings, you touch the world. So what is it going to be? You're going to flap them with the greatest thing? You're going to flap them with the moment of anger that you're in or the resentment you feel or the nastiness that's you know, stirring on the inside of you? What are you going to do? How are you going to touch the world? I think this is so important for us to understand. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to give you two quick thoughts on how we flap our wings with greatest thing love, how we can impact, how we can touch the world with greatest thing love. And this first one, uh, for those of you who were here last weekend, I probably should give an apology and just say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry because I'm going to be repeating myself in some ways. But I just think this is one I need to hear over and over. And I probably think, uh, I think probably you do too. So if you want to impact the world in a way that really makes a difference with greatest thing love, you have to look for and see the good, the great, the wonder in life, in people, in things around you, and then you have to speak it out. You have to see and say good. See it and then say it. See the good and then speak it out. Now, this, this may be me, but sometimes I feel like our particular culture, this culture that we currently live in, we've become quite cynical. I mean, we just look at things and we talk about, well, all politicians are corrupt and every, you know, we, you know, all preachers are bad and all that. You know, we have all these things. We, we see so much darkness around us and we talk 
very cynically about life and people are unbelievable and you can't trust anybody and, and they're all out just to get you and, and we have all this stuff going on. And I think there are a number of reasons that causes this cynicism in us. I think one of the huge ones is the news media. And I, I, I don't watch it very much myself. But the truth is what the news media gives us is almost always the very dark and very bad and usually it's overblown and it's not always fully accurate. It's more implied how evil and how terrible the world is. But if you believe what the news tells you, you believe the world's going to hell in a handbasket and nobody can be trusted and everybody is evil. Come on. Is there, does that resonate with anybody? It's like you look at it and it's like everything is horrible. Everything is terrible. You know what they say? They say if it bleeds, it leads. So make sure that we put the worst stuff out in front because that's what people are going to get sucked into and pulled. And there's something about it. It's like a schoolyard fight, you know, that you go, I don't want to watch bloodshed, but you can hardly pull yourself away from watching it. It's like it appeals to you at a very base level. And they know that. And so what happens is we see this stuff and we feed on this and we pick it up. And then people are saying, well, did you hear about the latest? And did you hear about that? And of course, now with instantaneous news happening, we get all the worst news from all around the world almost instantly. The world's horrible, terrible place. And that becomes our perspective. And we think the world is bad. We think the world is evil. We think things are are just terrible. And of course, the news isn't telling us anything different. They're telling us that very thing. And sometimes... Forgive me, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to just beat up on the news, but sometimes I think they exaggerate it or play it in such a way. I've actually seen stories that I have been connected to, even in local news media, that was written or played out in such a way, and I'd be be like, I was there. And this doesn't sound like anything that I saw, but it's made to look that way. And so we all just buy into this, and we all believe this stuff, and we all think it's terrible. And this is building... It's going to influence and tell people today, so many people, and some of you may think this, and this is going to irritate you for me saying this, but you think the world is the worst it's ever been. This is the worst of times. Can I push back? I actually believe factually that it is not the worst of times, that it is very possibly the best of times. Now, I'm not going to downplay the fact that there is suffering and there is much evil in the world. There is, there has been since the fall of mankind. That is a reality. But let me tell you something. There is less malnutrition. There is less hunger. There is more clean water. There is more access to health care. There's better things happening. I have traveled the world over over the years of my ministry now, 38 and a half years, and I have seen so many incredible improvements in third world countries where there's still much need, but there's so much good. We don't live in a world that's the worst it's ever been. I think we live in a place that's better than it's been in forever. And yet nobody's saying this stuff. Nobody's saying, do you realize how good things are in the world these days? How we can give really small amounts of money and we can bring clean water to a whole village where people have been dying of sickness and disease because they've been drinking diseased water for years. It's like, it's amazing the impact that we have in our world right now. And it's not all that bad. I need a Pentecostal church today because this is really... This is true. I've got to be careful because I'm going to use up my time and I don't want to, but 
Some of you just, you're going to get mad at me. But would you stop with the political stuff? I feel daggers coming my way. You understand that you can disagree with how things should be with someone, and that does not make them evil or the devil. Okay, like three people are going, yeah, I agree. And the rest of you are going, no, no, they're the devil. It's not that bad a place. The world's actually pretty wonderful. And statistically, and it's not that hard, Google it. There's so much good happening in the world. Now, see, you say, why does this matter, Jeff? What matters more than you may know is perspective. And people say, well, it's just their perspective. It's just how they see things. Perspective is dynamically tied to reality. Because how you perceive is how you will live towards something. You understand what I'm saying? How you perceive it, how you see it, is how you will live into it. So if you see it as the worst of times, you go into it with a cynical heart. You go into it dark. You go into it trusting no one. How you perceive the world is incredibly important. And you know this. You know people who have way more money than you. You would call them loaded or rich or whatever. But they have way more money than you. And you know that all their possessions and all their collections and all their wealth, they are not only not happier, they are miserable. Come on, is that true? Can rich people be miserable? Yep, some of you are going, yeah, that's me. And yet you also know for a fact that there are people who live in third world countries who have great need relative to what we experience and the wealth we have, and yet in the midst, in the depth of their need, they can have a joyful, wonderful attitude and life. And the difference is not the volume of stuff they have. The difference is their perspective. Do not undervalue how important perspective is. I mean, this is... This is just huge. Scripture, this is a King James Version verse, but I think this says it so well. Talking about a person that says, for as he thinks in his heart, read it with me, so is he. So is he. If that's how you see it, then that's how you is. And this is why it's so critical to see and say good To see it. Because when you flap your wings with seeing and saying what is good, you help change perspective, not only in your life, but in the life of someone that your breeze slightly touches. And then the next person, when you see and say the good in someone else, and I see this thing in you, and you have that conversation with them, I see in you. It's flapping your wings, and maybe they just go, well, that's nice, I don't believe it, but whatever. You're changing things. Can I just, just one more time? I know some of you are, like, you, you, you're not sure if you believe in the whole God thing, but, but, but can I just speak to those of you who are followers of Christ? If you are a follower of Christ, and you hear me, you win. You win. I know some of you are going, dude, I'm not winning right now. 
If you heard the way my husband talked to me, my wife talked to me, if you saw how my kids are a mess, or if you knew that I, I'm, I'm about to lose a house because I can't pay the bills, I understand you may be in a difficult spot right now, but do not miss this. If you are a follower of Christ, you have received the love of God, which is the greatest thing in the world, and you cannot lose in the end. It may take a while, but you win. I love how the Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans. Romans chapter 8, he says, In all these things, we are more, all the things that happen in life, the dark, the good, the bad, ugly, all of it. He says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, or any powers or height or depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You win! I need to start preaching at a more Pentecostal church. That's all there is to it. Look at the person next to you with just a little indignance. Just say, do you realize you win? Come on, just say it to them right now. You win! You win! And... All right, we may change the name of the church, you know, to some Pentecost, TVC, Thornhill Valley, Pentecostal Church, TVC, TVPC, whatever. Just, just understand how powerful that is. You carry that perspective. When you flap your wings, you touch the world. When you flap your wings, you touch the world. So flap them with the joy of, see, this is a perspective that the world needs, that if we are with God we win. He will take care of us. It will be okay. So first, you see and say good. Second thing, and I'll go through this real quickly. This is one of the most powerful things you can do if you can hear this, and I, I don't have enough time for it, but I'll just mention it. Choose today to be someone's champion. Here's what I mean by this. Just someone You find a way to lift them up, to build them up, to speak something good in their life, to give them something, to encourage them in some way. You find somebody, just one person. You just do one person today. You do one person tomorrow. You build someone up. You lift them up. You encourage them in some way. You have no idea the power of when you do that, what it does. You flap your wings. You touch what? The world. So you choose this is a conscious decision. You don't wait for the moment where you go, oh, they just look like they have any. You just f- make the decision. I'm going to look for someone today. I'm going to champion. I think sometimes we, we have this attitude. If I can't do this for everybody, well, I shouldn't be doing it for one person. I think that attitude is from the pit of hell, personally. Because what it does is it incapacitates you. It causes you to end up doing nothing instead of doing what really matters and what really counts. And this is such a simple thing. You choose one person. You Build them up just this day. You just encourage them. You speak. You got somebody at work that annoys you. You find something good and you say it to them. You tell them something good. You you champion them. And this actually is the high calling of the followers of God. This is Proverbs 31. It says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and needy. And again, poor and needy and those who are destitute, this is all relative to where people are living. It may be that they're well-to-do, but they're just beat down. You champion them. Just one day, one person, day after day, you flap your wings. Instead of destructive tornadoes coming out from your life, 
People get built up and then they touch somebody else. And the power of that, actually, it's unbelievable. I think sometimes we're, you know, we're watching these superhero movies and we're dreaming like, oh man, you know, someday I'm going to be, I'm going to be a champion. (laughs) Someday I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be like the character Mel Gibson played on Braveheart. You know, I'm going to get up on the horse and preach to the troops and everybody will be like, yeah, you know, that's a big screen. That's not real life. You know what real life is? Real life is people who champion someone day after day, just somebody. And it can be a different person each day, but they champion somebody. They just champion them. They lift them up. They encourage them. They do it by serving others. They do it sometimes by serving with others. Like we got this Detroit mission trip coming up in October, which I'm so pumped about. I think it's going to be such a blast. You serve with other people. You make a difference in the people that you're serving with in their life. And you lift up the people you're serving. We're doing this thing, and you should have information on this in the handouts you were given on the, the way in. We're, we're, we're serving people in May. We call this the Spring Blitz. And it happens where, where we go out for Saturday morning, and we flap our wings. And we rake, or we do repairs, or we do something, and we serve. And we make a difference. So, it's a simple challenge to you. And I hope, I hope you'll think about this. You, every time, every time you flap your wings, you touch the world. So you have to choose how you're flapping your wings. And that means you choose how you're flapping your jaw. Now, that was good preaching right there. I don't know where that came from. That was just a little extra. I challenge you to this. You know, this starts. This is just, you know, trying to be good if this doesn't flaw out of a relationship with God. The greatest thing, of course, is not our love. It's not the love of people. It is the love of God. And that's where it has to start in a relationship with God, where I say to him, I believe and I'm asking you to come in and take charge of my life. That's where it starts. And then we have his arms wrapped around us and we receive his love and we walk in relationship with him. And I'm aware that sometimes in our church services, there are people who would say, I feel like that's never been the case in my life. And maybe you have a sense that it should be, that you should make that decision. And it's this simple. You just open your heart up and you ask Christ to come in and take charge of your life. Or maybe you did that in some time past, but, but you've wandered from God far. And you feel like God's calling you back. I would love to pray with you where you're seated. This is my promise. We don't, this is what we hear. We don't make you stand up and come to the front. We don't parade you in front of people or embarrass you in any way. But sometimes it's good for people to say, you know what? That's what I need to do. And so I will pray with you in just a moment. This is what we'll do. I'd invite everybody in here. Just close your eyes and bow your heads, please, just for a moment. This is out of respect for other people. Just close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment, if you would. And if you're here and you need to do that, you need to come after God and make the decision, I want to follow you or I want to commit my life to you. If you would lift your hand and make eye contact with me, then you can put it back down and we'll pray in just a moment. Okay? Okay? All right? If that's you, just lift your hand up. Make eye contact. If we haven't made eye contact, just wave your hand at me. And we'll pray in just a moment.
Okay, awesome, awesome. Who else back there? All right, very good. If that's you, don't miss this. If that's God speaking to you, this is a time where you say, you know what, I'm just going to pray. This doesn't, it's, it's, you don't have to join our church. This is about us making that choice. If there's anybody else, lift your hand up real high. I'm going to go on and pray in just a moment, so I want to give you one more chance. Anybody else? Over here. Right here. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Awesome, sir. All right. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. All right. Right there. Uh, You have to pray this yourself. You have to come to God yourself. Just do it inside. Just go to God. I'll pray with you. Just pray something like this. God, I believe and I'm asking you to come into my life and take charge of my life. Just say that. I believe I'm asking you to come into my life, take charge of my life. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. Just tell, if you're serious, just say, I'm serious. I'm coming after you. I'm going to follow you as best I know how. I give you my heart. And he will come and live and dwell inside you. When you pray that simple prayer, just open your heart. Come in, Jesus. I need you in my life. I give you my life. And if you prayed that prayer now, whether you lifted your hand or not, if you prayed that prayer, I pray God's blessing on you. And in the days to come, you would be increasingly aware of him and know him intimately and deeply. And we pray your blessing on every one of those people, God. May they walk with you in great ways. And all the rest of us say, for people making decisions for you, yay, God. We're so thankful to be a part of what you're doing. Yay, God. Yay, God.